You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. All right, good morning to my Real Life family. How are you? I'm so glad you're here, and well done, Terry. Can we just give it up for Terry? Like, I got to tell you... Uh, and this will continue to, we're just going to get you used to this, being up in front of people. This is, he's like his number one thing, like a far and above is like speaking in front of people. And so he just faced down his biggest fear for you because he loves you that much. And here's what I have to say, Terry. God always smiles when he thinks of you, but he smiled especially broad this morning. That was good. That was awesome. We are in this story called, or this series called One Big Story, and we have, we're in week four. We have covered the goodness of God. We've covered the whispers that we listen to, the, the lies that we believe that in order or allow us to be broken. And then we talked last week about the promise that God gave Abraham. This week, we have the sacred task of covering the entire rest of the Old Testament. <laughs> Piece of cake. Not a lot to talk about there. Not a lot of material. We're going from Genesis 12 to Matthew. That's where we're headed um, in a few short minutes, just a few short minutes. So it actually works out pretty well. And I want to go back and review what we've been talking about, because how we understand the rest of the Hebrew scriptures really depends on the first three weeks that we've talked about. Week one, we talked about the fact that God is good. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed. He's not frustrated. God's not up in heaven going, oh my word, these sinners, they keep messing it up. What am I going to do? That's not God, not at all. God is good, and he created the world good, and he created you tov meod, real good. He created you full of potential. The problem is the whispers that we listen to, the, the voices that we allow into our heads that allow us to influence the decisions we make. The problem isn't our sinfulness, the problem is the shame that the voices create. And what happens is when we carry shame, that shame will actually force us to reoffend in sin. It's the shame that causes us to sin, not our desires. And that's really important to catch a hold of because the way to stop sinning isn't to acknowledge that you're a sinner. The way to stop sinning is to stop holding the shame that sin causes and get back to the one voice. That's how we deal with sin. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in that. Now, God finds a man in Abraham that will trust him and actually take him at his word. And God gives him a promise. The promise is that the whole world is going to be blessed through him, which is an ironic promise because he doesn't have any kids, right? But he says to Abraham, I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing to all the people. Now, the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the Hebrew Bible, is the story of Abraham's family, kind of the generation after generation after generation, unfolding in a way that helps us point to some really important truths. And so, if you, when I was in Bible college, they talked about this, and if you've ever listened to a sermon series on like, Judges or something like that. I'm sure that you've seen this. But there's this cycle 
that repeats. And in order to introduce you to it, I want to begin in Judges chapter 2, and we're going to read some, and then we'll talk a little bit about this as we get going. Let's read Judges chapter 2. It says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. It's a strong word. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who'd been obedient to the Lord's commands. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and to see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. And the Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. So this is what's happening. There's this cycle that gets described in Judges, and I think it's really important for us to take a look at it. So we're going to throw this diagram up on the board. Here it is. Here's the cycle. Israel serves the Lord in peace. And one of the things that I say all the time is that the hardest thing about God's blessing is living in it well. Because once you're in God's blessing for some distance, you kind of have a tendency to start relaxing, taking it easy, chilling out, not being quite so serious. And there's like these little two degree shifts in your life, in your faith that happen. And it's not a big deal in the moment, but the a two degree shift a thousand miles down the road is pretty wide, right? So we make these little compromise, little compromise, little compromise. And then Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then Israel becomes enslaved, and then Israel cries out to the Lord, and then the Lord raises up a judge. And then Israel is delivered, and then Israel serves the Lord in peace. But then the problem is, then Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is what Je Judges chapter 2 was talking about. Now, if you look, if you Google in, um, uh, just go on Google and Google this, the cycle in Judges, you're going to get like infinite, this is not new. They're, you're going to get infinite amount of information. There's diagram after chart after diagram, right? The Google theologian is your best friend on this one. But the problem that I have with it is they label this the sin cycle. And what I want to wrestle with is maybe there's a better way for us to understand this that gets us consistent with the story that's already being told. And that's important. Okay. So I want to go, I want to look at another passage. Then we're going to come back to the diagram and we're going to talk about it a little bit. Let's look at Judges chapter three. See if we can't see this cycle show up again. Then Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Sound familiar? They forgot the Lord, their God, and served the Baals and the Asherahs. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Sound familiar? So that he sold them into the hands of the Kush, of Kushan Rishathaim. It's a strong name. Like for those of you that are with child, one that I would offer you to consider. <laughs> Kushan Rishathaim. Mm. 
king of Aram, Naharaim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, remember this in the cycle, the Lord, he raised, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. And the spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. And the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, I got to say it that way because it's just so cool, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Does this sound familiar? Like this is the cycle that repeats itself. And because they did this evil, in the, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. Uh, that's Jericho, by the way. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. And again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. And he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. Which, why do we need to know that? Because it's actually his left-handedness that delivers Israel. He's going to kill Eglon with a sword. And the reason he gets the sword past the guards is because it's on his left side and not his right side. So his left-handedness is actually the thing that God uses. So for those of you that are left-handed, there's hope for even you. <laughs> I mean, we were worried. He had a left-handed sword. I'm going to let that sit with you for a minute, left-handed sword. <laughs> the Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. And he goes on and he delivers the Israelites. This is the cycle. So I want to put it back up. Basically, that last passage, like if you didn't see the cycle in that, like it is spelling it out verbatim, right? Here's the cycle again. Israel serves the Lord in peace, and then Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. Israel becomes enslaved. Israel cries out to the Lord, and the Lord raises up a judge. Israel is delivered, and then Israel serves the Lord in peace. And this is this cycle. Now, here's the thing. We look at this and go, oh my gosh, these stupid Israelites, come on. Like, you guys are ridiculous, right? I would propose this is the cycle of your life too, isn't it? Like this is the cycle we go through. And it's one of those things that helps us understand who God is. And so this has been called the sin cycle. I would suggest that perhaps there's a better way to understand it. I see this not as the sin cycle of people, why, why is it that people are so focused on sinfulness? Why is it that they're so worried about this? This isn't God responding to the people. This isn't God reacting like, oh my goodness, I got to outmaneuver them. This is God showing his infinite love and patience for his people. That's what this story is about. This isn't about God going, oh my word, let's, let me find somebody else. Uh, Ehud, you're left-handed. Let's do something creative with that. <sighs> that's, that's not this. Listen, listen. God has infinite patience for you. Like his, and I know, I know where you're headed in your mind. For those of you that are debunking me right now, some of you are sitting there going, man, you don't even know what you're talking about. Hang on, we'll get there. We're going to talk about punishment. We're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about retribution. We're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about all of it. But you have to understand it through the lens of the story that the scripture's actually telling. 
Like, think about this. Where does the story begin? This big story that God's telling is that God is good, that the world is good, and that you were created full of potential. The problem isn't that God's angry. The problem is the voices you listen to. And that creates shame, which perpetuates this cycle. But God has relentless patience for you. God has infinite, limitless, relentless patience for you. Like, never forget that this cycle isn't about God reacting to your sin. This cycle is the cycle that you and I go through again and again and again, and the thing that draws us is God's infinite grace for us. That's what this cycle is about. And we have to understand it that way, or we start believing that our sin is driving the story. That is not the story that the Bible is telling. That's not the, the, go back to the story again. God is good. The world is good, and he created you full of potential. The problem isn't sin. The problem is you let other voices creep into your life. And so God then creates an opportunity for you to turn loose of those voices so that he can lavish his goodness on you. That's the point. And that's the story that has been being told up until this stage in the Bible. And it's the cycle of the rest of the Old Testament. Like, this is super critical for us to get. Now, for some of you that are still like, I don't buy it, there's punishment, blah, 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 there's prophets, there are, there's woes. I've heard the woes. Rain down fire, Lord. How long, oh God, will you let your people... Like, I, I know there's some of us that need a prophet, that need a, a heavy hand, right? I got good news for you. We're, there is that, and I want to talk about that because I want us to understand this properly, okay? I want to begin in Isaiah chapter 5. We've talked a lot about Isaiah 5 over the years. This is the end of the song of the vineyard that Jesus uses in Matthew 21. But it says, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines that he delighted in. And he looked for justice, Zedekah, but found only bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Like, there's so many things I want to say here, but we did another sermon for another day. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field until no space is left. Who does that sound like? Hashtag America, like join house to house, add field to field, bigger, faster. Look, look at my empire. Ah, look, woe to you who approach the world that way and you live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, surely the great houses will become desolate and the fine mansions left without occupants. A 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine, as we all know what a bath is, and a homer of seed will yield only an ephah of grain to which you go, oh my word, right? Not so much the amount, like you're going to do a whole lot of work and not get much return for it. That's kind of the point, all right? Here's the thing. There is 
a reckoning. But I want to make a distinction that I think is really important. And again, it's really about perspective. Is this cycle about our sin or is it about God's redemption? I think it's about God's redemption, and I think it's important for us to make that distinction because that's the story that the Bible's been telling. The story that the Bible is telling isn't describing how bad people are. It's how redemptive God is. That's the story that the Bible's telling from Genesis 1. So I think perspective matters here too. I want to to distinguish two words. One word is punishment, and the other word is discipline. They're not the same thing. Now, discipline might involve punishment sometimes, But discipline and punishment are not the same things. Punishment is make you pay. Discipline is correct boundary, restructure, reroute, so that good things can come from for you, right? Does that make sense? This is really important for us to distinct because every time that the Lord disciplines us, we often think that God is punishing us. Maybe not. Maybe not. You know, as a wrestling coach, I get the opportunity to um, help people discipline themselves regularly. Because here's the thing about wrestling. I'm super like, I don't believe that there's any place for competition in the kingdom of God. I don't believe it. And I think for all you people that love sports, like you have an idol problem and you need to get over it. Uh, in all seriousness, that's not a joke. But, and I'm not saying it's coaching is evil or sports are evil. I think it when we, when our state of well-being rises and falls on whether or not a professional football team or a professional basketball team wins or loses, like something's wrong, right? Again, I'm not, and I'm not bashing sports. I think they have a place in culture. I just think that we make the winning and the losing too important. But I love wrestling because... Wrestling is about making a decision on what kind of a human being you're going to be. Like every time you step on the mat, wrestling will break you. Every time. You're going to get pushed past the point that you can go on every time. And you get to pick. So my son, uh, Caleb, who's now 19 and out on his own, he moved out and is taking the world by storm, he thinks. Uh, I'm like, you go, you don't have anything to lose, so risk it all. <laughs> uh, zero times zero is always zero, you know? Uh, but he's, he's great, uh, but he, is, he wrestled, the la- his last two years of high school wrestling, I got to be his coach, and it was great, because we had all these opportunities to have this conversation about, like, you know, yeah, you've, you were... Like, you let that guy beat you, or you, you know, and it's not about winning and losing. I never cared about that. It's about knowing that there's more inside of him, that I never cared about his wins and losses. I always cared if he didn't give 100%. Because here's the thing. Now that he's on his own, uh, and, I, and I'll actually even share with you this text that, um, that I got from him. So... Uh, he was talking about how the transition from like being a high school student to being a, to adulting is difficult. And, uh, and, and we were talking about learning and being a lifelong learner and all that stuff. And so this is what I texted him. I said, for what it's worth, I think you're doing a great job getting your feet under you. Showing up and working hard is 90% of the battle. 
you do those things really well. And he says to me back, well, I had a good teacher. And I was like, yeah, you did. <laughs> and, uh, and then he says this. He says, honestly, though, I don't think I would have made it this far if you hadn't have pushed me so much in life. I was thinking the other day about how being on my own has been less tough, but it hasn't been as, or it has been tough, but it hasn't been as tough as it has for some people. And I credit that largely in part to you. Uh, all the times you said, rub some dirt in it and walk it off. And all the times you pushed me to work harder in wrestling or on the farm or anywhere else in life, those instances helped shape me as a person, and I'm just thankful for that. There's a difference between punishment and discipline. There's a difference. Discipline we can be thankful for. Punishment just hurts. Now, if our discipline involves punishment, then we can use punishment well. It's appropriate. But what you know, you know this if you're a parent. Like, you know that punishing your child isn't an act of anger. Like disciplining your child isn't an act of anger. Like, you're not. And I think that God gives us this relationship because he wants us to see that. Like, with my own kids, and now that my kids are getting older, I can start to see the fruits of all of what we did or didn't do. Uh, for better or for worse, my kids are who we made them. Yay. Um, like, dang it, I'm, I'm a failure. I used to, before I had kids, I was a really good parent. Um, and now I just want to get dressed in the morning. That's, hopefully it matches. It's hard not to match with blue jeans. That's a good, staple, safe thing. But there's a difference between discipline and punishment. And so, yes, yes, there's God disciplining his people. Absolutely, there's woes. But is it because he's angry and reacting to their sin and he's making them pay for what they did wrong? Or is it because he's saying, my people, you're selling yourself short. You have more in you. Let these voices go. And if you do, then what's going to happen in you is going to be amazing. But if you can't let it go, it's going to destroy you. And so God causes the people to be put in a position where they have to learn to let it go. That's not punishment. That's discipline. I want to read a passage out of Hebrews chapter 12. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 12, it says, endure hardship is discipline. Weird that the Bible talks about this. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. If you respected your, your human father for disciplining you, then why in the world would you get mad at God when he disciplines you? Like, we, we respect him for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplined us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. What's the goal of the bad things to share in God's holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. This is what God's up to. He's not mad. He's not, oh my, I'm spanking them. They will pay for what they did wrong. 
I will make them suffer. That's not God's heart. And that's not the story that God has already been telling in the Bible. And we have to own that so that we can understand what God's up to in the world and in our own life. Because you admit it already, this cycle is the cycle of your life. If you want peace, then you must allow yourself to be trained and disciplined by God's work in your life. Don't get mad, don't bail out, don't give up. Hang in there because God's discipline for you is for your good. Now, I want to read for you a couple of quotes. This is actually taken straight out of the children's curriculum. So for those of you that have kids and you've been working on this um, whole thing with your family sitting around the dinner table, this is what you're going to get, some of their quotes this week. So I want to read a couple of them. Here's one. God's big story tells us about God's big love. Like God's love for you is big. He's not mad. This story, this cycle, even the prophets, even the woes, even the discipline, it's all there because of God's great love. Here's another one. God's wisdom and love far exceeds that far exceeds that of his people. He He not only knows what's best for them, he wants what's best for them. So out of his infinite wisdom and big love, God gave his people rules to follow, rules to protect them, guide them, and keep them close to his heart. This is what God's doing. He's not trying to control you. And I, like, I get it. It's hard. Like, following God's rules, a lot of them are counterintuitive. Like, don't have sex before you're married? Why? Like, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? Well, because God's got a plan for that, right? So then what this sermon's about. If you're curious about that, come talk to me. Like, why, why, if a little does a little good, a heap will do a heap of good. Like, why not use drugs, right? It's so awesome. I feel, I escape, I feel good, I don't have to worry. What if you just turned your worries over to God and then you wouldn't have to worry and you would remember? <sighs> like, what about that? I, like, one of the things that I think we have to constantly be pulling ourselves back to is, remember our series in the book of Romans when we talked about, like, there's this whole section on no matter what moral code you pick, you'll fail. And it's not really about your moral code or where you come from. The truth is, in this world, acts that lead to life lead to life. And acts that lead to death lead to death. That is always true every time. There is never a story where somebody goes, I started taking meth and then everything was awesome. Like that story doesn't exist. I started using drugs and then everything turned out so good. Like my life was so much better for it. Nope, that story, that story doesn't exist. Like there's never gonna be a place where you go, hey, uh, I violated God's law and then everything went well. That doesn't work. God's laws are there for your good. They're there to help you understand how to get the most out of this life. And with that in mind, we're gonna move towards the Lord's table. So what we're going to do here is, if you have that card filled out that uh, Thad talked about, they're going to send some buckets down the middle. You can drop that card in there, kick it to the outside, and they'll pick them up out here. Um, And then we're going to take communion together. Now, we take communion every week, and communion is an opportunity for you and I to um, tell the Lord and each other that we are part of his covenant. So if you're with anybody that's here that's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, we'd love to have you partake in that.
but we want you to hold those elements till the end and we'll take them all together. Now, while they're passing out all this stuff, I want to work through a few implications. And today, buckle up, we have five. It's abnormal, but we did it. We're going crazy today, okay? These implications are, these are things that we thought were particularly important as we put the sermon together. Now, here's the deal. If there's other places where you're like, this, this is something that I need to uh, apply to, uh, my life in another area, that's great too. You take it wherever the Lord takes it in your life and apply it. But I want to make sure that uh, you understand that these are things that we thought were particularly important. Thank you, Sherry. Implication number one. God's big story tells us about God's big love. And I go right back to what your kids are learning. The most important thing that you can take away from this sermon today is that God's big story isn't going to explain to you how God punishes. That's not the point. This is about helping you understand God's big love. Implication number two. God asks us to partner with him so that others can see his big love. Listen, this is why we live a certain kind of way. As followers of God, you and I are called to live a certain kind of way so that the world can see God's big love. It's not about you getting out of hell and into heaven only. It's also about how we live so that the rest of the world can see God's big love too. Next implication. When we fail, God is patient and gracious in his love He guides us and helps us to become better and more adjusted in our behavior. We go through this cycle so that we can let go of the things that interrupt us living in peace. So that once we come back around, because of God's infinite, endless patience, then we don't have to deal with that issue again. Next implication, number four, when we become the anti-story, God disciplines us. This is because of his loving desires for us and his love for others around us. Here's the thing. A lot of people ask me, like, some people are getting away with stuff, whatever. Like, when does God intervene? When does God step in and change things? Well, eventually, there's this story that God's trying to tell in the world through you and I. And eventually, you can become so far off the path that you become the anti-story. And when you do, that's when God has to step in and correct action. Not to make you pay, but to get you back on the path so that you can walk the path. And I know that for many of us, we're like, man, I, I, but I've strayed really far off the path. Yeah, you have. Get back on it. But, you, but I've really blown it. Like, how would God even ever use me? I don't know how God would use a messed up person like you. Get on the path and walk it. Let him find out. Let him fix that, figure that out. But, I, but you don't understand. I've really messed. Like, if somebody came in here and knew that I was serving, they, they would turn right around and walk back out. Okay. Walk the path. <laughs> like, people, like, people get out excuse after excuse after, but I've strayed so far. Yeah, you're right. In the whole history of mankind, all the people who've lived and died, your story is the one that God can't redeem. Walk the path. Just get back on the path and walk. God's not trying to make you pay. He's trying to help you realize the full potential of what he placed in you before the world began. 
And that's an invitation I think we can all be inspired by. Last implication. There is a significant distinction between discipline and punishment. God's big story tells us about God's big love. To go back to the, to the um, analogy of sports, think about a football team that doesn't condition. That's discipline. Nobody likes to condition. It sucks, and it's hot, and it, like, they're sweating and dying, and, and, the, and they don't want to do it. And the, right about the time that they've pushed themselves to the limit, that's when the coach gets real serious about their conditioning. Why? Because that discipline creates an opportunity for them to enjoy the victory, Right? Like the hard work pays off, but you got to go through the hard work in order for it to pay off. Like hard work doesn't pay off if you don't work hard. You with me? Discipline isn't easy. Obviously, I'm a food health conscious person. <laughs> Listen, you can look at me and tell me how disciplined I am with my diet, right? You can look at me and see how disciplined I am in the weight room. But here's the deal. No matter how much I know, and I know a lot about eating right and working out, it's surprising how much I could tell you. If you, you need an exercise and diet plan, I got you. It doesn't matter how much I know. Discipline actually takes discipline, right? I don't enjoy the fruits of discipline without going through it. And with that in mind, we have to see God from the perspective of his redemption, not our sin. God doesn't care about your sin. He cares about redeeming you. It's time for us to focus on what God focuses on. That's what communion is really all about. This isn't a reminder of your sin. It's a reminder of God's love. This is a reminder that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, this is a covenant of my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, I, I hope that you see in us people who really want to live in, in your peace. And Lord, I hope that you see in us people that when you show up and discipline us in our life, we're willing to stand in there and endure it so that a harvest of righteousness and peace can be born in us. And Lord, Thank you for your infinite, limitless patience and grace for us as we work through how to maximize this amazing potential that you put in us before the world began. Lord, make us faithful. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com. 